This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first, the first reading this morning is from Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the word of the Lord. The second Bible reading this morning is from Ruth chapter 2. Verses 1 to 23. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of corn behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, the family, who was of the family Elimelech. Just then, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. They answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who is in charge of the reapers, to whom does this young woman belong? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came, and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now, without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women, keep your eyes on the field, that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from the young, uh, from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have now refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here 
and eat some of this bread and dip your morsel in the sour wine. So she sat behind the reapers and he, he heaped up for her some parched grain. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean among the standing sheaves and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls for her from the bundles and leave them for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and came into the town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over um, and she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the, man of, the name of the man with whom I had worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay close by my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is better, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, otherwise you might be bothered in another field. So she stayed close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Let us pray as we come to hear God's word to us today. Thank you, Father, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Open our hearts this morning to receive your word. We might know you better and be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, in his latest book, uh, Australian social researcher Hugh McKay speaks of a kindness revolution. In the midst of the global pandemic, he argues, we Australians, we showed our kind side. After the initial shock and stockpiling of toilet paper, uh, we, the expressions of kindness prevailed. We realised that there were isolated people in our neighbourhoods who needed help. We smiled and waved at passers-by. We put notes in neighbours' letterboxes offering help. Managers realised that their people need care. We started to speak of the common good. And banks, even banks, became more accommodating. And so maybe, McKay suggests, if we learn from our lessons at this time, we could have a kindness revolution. Maybe we will become more committed to seeking reconciliation with our First Nations peoples or respond humanely to asylum seekers, eradicate poverty, racism, sexism, ageism. I do wonder about McKay's idealism, but he raises a serious question. In a world where things can be so unkind, how can we experience real and lasting kindness? 
We saw last week that the best kind of kindness that the Bible speaks about is a steadfast love, a loyal love that goes beyond a polite hello and commits ourselves to each other, a kindness that welcomes and protects. This is a kindness that we want for ourselves to be accepted and welcomed in by others. This is a kindness that makes us and our communities thrive. But where do we find this steadfast, lasting kindness? Well, last week we began looking at the book of Ruth. And we saw in chapter 1, we we met Naomi and her husband, uh, Elimelech, who uh, they were hit by a famine in the land of Israel. And so they went off to the land of Moab to try and find some relief them and their two sons. Their sons married some Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But before too long, the men in the family died, leaving Naomi behind with her two daughters-in-law. So Naomi, nothing, well, what were they to do? So she decided, let's go back to the land, back to my homeland to try to find relief, even as she was bitterly lamenting. Her two daughters-in-law, Orpah, stayed behind in her homeland of Moab. But Ruth clung to her mother-in-law and went with her to the land of Judah. And now they're in the land. And these widows have nothing. They have no husbands, no sons. They're afflicted and they're empty and they're bitter. And so they need kindness. They need to be accepted And they need to receive generosity somehow to survive and maybe find a home. So where will they find it? Where will they find kindness? What will they do? Well, chapter 2, which Di read for us, thank you, Di, begins, we, we, we hear of this wealthy relative, but then he's kind of left behind for the moment and the story focuses on Ruth and what she's doing. Naomi is paralyzed by grief, so she finds that she's not really able to do much at the moment. But Ruth gets herself up and she goes out to glean in the fields after the harvesters. What does that mean? I, I didn't grow up on the country. I don't know much about farming. I have to look up words like glean. Well, Ruth is taking advantage of an Old Testament law. It's in two places, in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24. And in this law, God tells landowners, he says, when you gather gather in all your crops, your barley, your wheat, your olives, your grapes, when you gather them in, don't go over it a second time and get in every last skerrick for yourself. Don't maximize profits. Make sure that you leave some leftovers. Bang out your olives, but only do it once. Go through and scrape off the grapes But only once, leave the rest behind for people who need it, people who don't have land, for widows, for orphans, that is anyone without a father. We think of little Oliver, yes, but also uh, adults who didn't have families to belong to. And for foreigners. And so this is the first place to find kindness. Kindness. By listening to God's instruction in his law. That's a little unexpected maybe. A question I get asked a lot is, well, why do we pay attention to the Old Testament? 
Isn't that where we have kind of a, a mean and unloving God in the Old Testament? And the law, as Christians, we can just leave that behind. That's irrelevant now. You know, if we want real kindness then we, and love, then we look at the New Testament through Jesus, right? But what this shows is that, there is, that real kindness is in this Old Testament law. In fact, it's this very passage that I mentioned that this is in Leviticus 19, this law. It's from this very passage that Jesus quotes when he is asked about the most important commandments in the Bible. To love the Lord your... And he answers, love the Lord your God and to love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. Leviticus 19, verse 18. And this law about leaving the gleanings is an instance of loving your neighbour as yourself. God gave his law to his people, not as a burden, but to show them how to live like he always wanted them to live. Love him and show love and kindness to each other. And so that's why when you look at the Old Testament law and you compare it with the other, uh, other laws, other cultural mores of the time, it has a distinctly humanitarian bent Though sometimes that can be a bit hard for us to see from our cultural perspective that has actually been shaped so deeply by this Old Testament law and then as it's come through in through Christian ethics as well. You know, so, for example, an eye for an eye. You've heard of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Oh, that sounds so mean. But actually, that was putting a lid on disproportionate punishment. Stops people from killing a slave for stealing, for example. And this gleaning law is a social safety net for the poor. It stops them from starving to death and encourages people to be thoughtful and generous about people who don't have much. So if you want to find steadfast, loving kindness, here is a place to start in God's instruction in the Old Testament law. If we're going to be a transformed community that embodies steadfast kindness the kind of kindness that people like Ruth can take advantage of, then we need to be committed to reading and hearing and putting into practice God's instruction. Now, as soon as Ruth gets going with the gleaning, it just so happens that she stumbles, stumbles into the field of this wealthy relative, Boaz. Now, this guy, Boaz, he's a powerful man. He's prominent and rich. And he's pious too. To see the way that he greets his workers, the Lord be with you, he says. And he notices this, this strange woman who he hasn't seen before. He notices her and, and he asks that question that mattered most in a patriarchal culture, to whom does this young woman belong? And he finds out that she's a Moabite. So the question is, for this pious Jewish man, how is he going to respond? Because on the one hand, he knows the laws about gleaning. He knows he should leave, uh, leave the, the barley there for foreigners to gather. But he also knows that the Moabites are a, to, uh, singled out as to be excluded from the worshipping Israelite community. I mentioned last week that uh, the, the Moabites were particular enemies of Israel. In times past, they'd taken their land, they had oppressed them, they'd led them to worship other gods. And, and so Moabites are dangerous. 
So this pious Jewish man, how, Boaz, how does he respond? What's he going to do? Well, Boaz shows steadfast kindness to Ruth. He puts himself at risk. He welcomes her. He protects her. And he gives to her generously. And that's the second place that we can find kindness. By showing it to each other. As we welcome others, as we protect the vulnerable and give generously. So Boaz, he welcomes Ruth as a, this prominent, prominent, pious man in the Jewish community. He is an insider, very clearly, in every, in every way. The story is very clear about this. But he then speaks to this outsider, this Moabite widow. And did you notice what he calls her? Daughter. He invites her to stay in his field, to stay with the other young women. And then later at the mealtime, he doesn't just throw her the scraps. He invites her in. Come and sit down with us and gives her the food to eat. At the heart of the Christian faith is outsiders being welcomed as insiders. I am an outsider you are all outsiders, naturally, That's to, with respect to God. But God, through his immense kindness, welcomes you in, welcomes us in, not because of who we are or anything that we've done, but just because of his kindness. And so how can we then do anything but welcome in outsiders? It's worth asking, as a church, how do we go at this? How do we go at welcoming people who would otherwise feel like outsiders? People of every skin colour, every accent, every type of clothes, all kinds of mental and physical health issues. You know, I think we're good at being polite and friendly, but it's important to keep asking this. And to think about whether we're so good at the more subtle and deep things, ways of accepting and welcoming others, by showing genuine openness to someone who walks in and maybe looks a little different or looks a bit unkept, instead of showing suspicion or fear. Showing real respect and interest in people rather than a casual coolness or a patronising curiosity. We have been welcomed by Christ. So let's keep welcoming in each other and anyone else who we come across in our community. Boaz also protects and advocates for Ruth. Life for this Moabite woman, especially being a widow, was treacherous. Then, as now, unwanted sexual advances and assault were an ever-present possibility for women, and especially vulnerable women like this. But in verse 9, do you notice what Boaz explicitly does? He orders his young men not to bother her. If you are strong, and I think most of us in particular ways and contexts have strength then you are called by God to protect and advocate for those who are weaker than you. 
on the most obvious kind of superficial uh, level of, in terms of superficial from this text, all of us, and especially men, are called to be like Boaz and do whatever we can to prevent women from being taken advantage of or being abused in our homes, in our church, in our communities. And to welcome in and show absolute kindness to people who are victims. But more generally, there are lots of other ways in which each of us have our strengths, our strong men and women, in our wealth and in whatever influence we have. It's our role to use our power and resources to protect and advocate for the downtrodden. Sometimes I think this kind of thing can sound like a progressive or liberal agenda, but this is a Christian agenda. And it has a long history in Christianity. You think of Martin Luther King Jr. and of William Wilberforce. But one example you might not have heard of is uh, Bartolome. I practice this lots of times. Uh, Bartolome de la Casas, a colonist from the West Indies in 1514, who realized that he kept slaves, but he realized that his enslavement of Native Americans was a deadly sin. And so he freed all his slaves and devoted the rest of his life to defending them. This is 1514. It was an unpopular opinion, and it came at serious personal cost. But he gave himself to this because of his Christian conviction. And again, it's worth asking, how can we, each of us, individually and collectively as a church, use our power and resources to protect and advocate for the weak. And collectively, we already support Banksia women supporting victims of domestic violence. We support rough edges supporting the homeless. But how can we just keep doing more in our own lives, in our businesses, in our communities? So Boaz welcomes her in, he protects her, and he is also generous to her. And notice he doesn't just let her glean, kind of ignore her. He commands his men to draw water for her and then to take, take barley out of that first run through, actually take some out of it and leave it for her to gather for herself. And then at the meal, he offers her, here, take bread, dip it in the vinegar, and then he heaps up this roasted grain for her. Did you notice the way I described it? That she eats and she's satisfied. And there's even leftovers for her to take home to her mother-in-law. Once again, those of us who have much, we're called to be generous. Everything good that you have in life, that I have in life, comes from God. Your security, your stability, your wealth, your very life, your eternal life through Christ Jesus is a gift. So how can we do anything else but be generous with it? So, in response to Boaz's kindness, what does Ruth do? She falls on the ground in gratitude. There's something, though, that's missing here that I haven't mentioned as this story has moved through. There's something going on in the background. Do you notice back in verse 3 when Ruth came across the, uh, came across the field that she just happened to land in the field of Boaz? 
But this wasn't just dumb luck. And Boaz says so. He notices it. And he says it in verse 12. And this verse, this little speech of Boaz, is right at the centre of the passage. The rest of the passage is arranged in concentric circles around this. In verse 12, he prays, May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Behind all of this kindness that we see people showing to each other is the Lord. Ruth has come for refuge under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. And that's what she found. Later, Naomi says a similar thing. Again, at the end of the passage, as if to underline it with a bold stroke. In verse 20, Blessed be he, Boaz, by the Lord, whose kindness, that is the Lord's kindness, has not forsaken the living or the dead. All that kindness that Ruth has experienced, even though it came through Boaz, it has come from God. And so if you want to find real lasting kindness, here's where to look. It's from the Lord, through Jesus Christ. Now, God's kindness comes in a number of ways. And in this passage, the prominent way is through God's providence. It comes providentially. And that just means that it's God standing behind the, the human things that are happening. So everything that means that everything good that you experience from, uh, from people around you as we show it to each other, that's actually God's kindness in his providence working out through people in your life. It is a gift of God that has come through other people. So we experience God's kindness even through ordinary, everyday people like those in this story, through strong people like Boaz and through disadvantaged people like Ruth to her mother-in-law Naomi. God's kindness comes to you and me. God's kindness it comes providentially, but... It comes most significantly through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has shown us his incredible kindness by sending Jesus Christ to die on your behalf, to pay for your wrongdoing. And then to, he gives, out of his kindness, he gives his spirit into us to assure us of his love and to transform us so that we can pass that kindness on be a conduit of God's kindness to those around us. I doubted Hugh McKay's idealism before, but the gospel of Jesus Christ really transforms. And so if you want to find kindness, you need to seek after it here, beginning with seeking refuge in God's kindness towards you. This story is all about Ruth seeking refuge in God's kindness. Did you notice how tenacious she is in that? She's a vulnerable foreigner. And you would kind of expect the story to go that she kind of comes along and she's passive. And, and then this hero, Boaz, comes and provides her with everything she needs. Well, that's kind of only one side of the story. Because when you look closely, she gets out there. She risks herself. She approaches the foreman and boldly asks to glean among the piles of grain. 
She works hard from the early morning with no rest until the midday meal and then again until the evening, until the last light. And she clung to Naomi. She clings to the workers who were there in the field and she reaps huge rewards. It was an ephah. I know, right? 13 kilograms of flour in one day. In our home, we make sourdough. Well, Naomi makes sourdough. And uh, I'm no, now I'm no expert, but 13 kilograms of flour makes a heck of a lot of sourdough. I've uh, experienced from time to time a bit of bloating from eating too much sourdough. 13 kilograms of flour, that's on another level. The point is this, that God's kindness is there for you. His acceptance, his protection, his generosity. And he wants you to tenaciously seek it and take it. If you're a believer, maybe you've lost Ruth's tenacity. It's easy for things to cool down over time. But like Ruth, we are called to persistently come to God for his kindness. Every morning and every night, coming to him in prayer, drinking deeply from his word and promises, laying our worries before him and asking him for everything that we need to thrive as a disciple in his world. If you're not a believer, then consider Ruth this morning. She was an outsider. She didn't really know this God very well. But she knew that she was hungry and she needed satisfaction and steadfast kindness in her life. And so she went after it. And so this morning, I invite you, if you're hungry, if your soul is weary and depleted, then come to him and find loving kindness and rest that God gives. Jesus tells a parable, I think you might, you might know it, about a widow who, sought, who needed justice against her opponent. And so she went and she found a judge and she asked this judge again and again, give me justice, give me justice. But he wouldn't. But she was persistent. She hounded him again and again until he finally gave in. And gave her the kindness that she deserved and that she needed. In an unkind world, we need God's kindness. If even that unkind judge showed kindness to this persistent widow, then how much more will the Lord, who has demonstrated his own love by Christ dying for us, give you kindness when you seek it? Let me pray. We thank you, Father, for the kindness that you've shown to us through all the people in our lives, through the things we've experienced, but mostly through your Son, by the power of your Spirit. Thank you for the acceptance that you give us, the forgiveness and the satisfaction. And so may we seek refuge and kindness in you. May your kindness overflow out of our lives into the lives of others, into our workplaces, our families, our communities so that all might be drawn to the loving kindness of Jesus Christ and give him the glory. In his name we pray. Amen.
urge to think about of God's goodness to us. So let's uh, stand and end our service this morning. Except that we're going to morning tea afterwards, which is waiting for you and fabulous. And uh, do, uh, if you possibly can, come and join at morning tea. But before then, we're going to sing 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Please stand. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.